Good morning. Our Bible reading this morning is from Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. And the heading is, Jesus heals, heals a boy possessed by an impure spirit. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I bought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can, if you can, can do anything... Take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you. Come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replied, this kind of can come out only by prayer. May the Lord add his blessing to the word. Thank you, Wanda. Well, please uh, pray with me as we continue our series in Mark. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that as we encounter this passage, we see... Jesus' power, his authority. But Father, he also raises some big questions about faith. And I pray, Lord, that as we navigate these today, I pray that you will bless our reading and you will keep us uh, faithfully in the text and understanding your truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I love lighthouses. I know it's a pretty common Christian symbolism, Jesus is my lighthouse, whatever. But it's true. 
<laughs> you know, Jesus is like a lighthouse. And, but lighthouses, what I love about light, lighthouses, and I've um, travelled around Australia and visited quite a number of lighthouses, um, is this kind of strange, you know, how light, I, I feel really like I'm talking to you like you, you know, you know a lighthouse, it goes around. Um, but I've walked towards a lighthouse in the dark. I don't know if you've ever done that. So I lived, uh, I, don't, I can't remember if I was living there or whether uh, I was visiting, but I remember one, it was about 30 years ago, I'm not sure how many lighthouses are actually going anymore, but uh, I remember walking towards a lighthouse as it was going in the dark, but the terrain was quite rugged. And one of the things that uh, really struck me was that as the light came around, you got a, you got a, um, you got this view of the landscape, the, the land that you had to kind of navigate through, uh, and it left an impression in your mind. And then the light hit you, and you were kind of blinded by it. And then, and then you had to remember this image that you got as you kind of went through the dark. And then it came around again, and you got another glimpse, and it just kept going like that. Um, and I found that uh, really fascinating because uh, I would trip and I'd stumble, but then I'd see clearly again. And I think, you know, in many ways, uh, the Christian life is a bit like that, see? Um, but have you ever felt like that as you're walking your life in Christ? Have you ever felt that you've got a clear picture, you might get blinded sometimes and a bit eccentric about your faith and you're doing things that you go oh you know this is awesome and that's not a bad thing and then it goes dark like the light might be going a lot slower and the seasons might be going a lot slower but does your walk with God feel like that sometimes see in our passage today we encounter an episode where the disciples are navigating their walk as Jesus as Jesus's disciples without him actually present with him when we first encounter them. And it appears they're struggling to function as Christ's disciples in a terrain of opposition and doubt. You see, Jesus, the light, has been up a mountain. He's been up being transfigured before James, John and, uh, and Peter, three of the disciples, and there's still nine disciples down the hill and there's a crowd around them. See, Jesus has had his humanity, if you remember to last week, humanity taken away to reveal his true glory and his divinity. And while all that's happening, and while we uh, saw that Elijah and Moses came and Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah, down on the ground, while he's separate from his other nine disciples, there's an argument unfolding. And Jesus comes down that mountain and, uh, and he encounters this problem. And uh, if you have a look at verse 14 there, uh, we're told this. When they came to the other disciples, so that's Peter, James and John and Jesus, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. So you remember back to Mount Sinai, Moses goes up to the mountain, receives the Ten Commandments. He goes down the, ten, he goes down the mountain after receiving it, and what does he find? They're off worshipping a, a golden calf. 
It didn't take long for their leader to be away for them to start moving back into the darkness when that light has disappeared. See, and there's some, there's some similarities here. See, in our passage, it's, it's kind of chaos. There's all this argument, a scene where they'd moved on from God and perhaps tried to figure out how to exercise this power that Jesus had uh, without him. Well, afterwards, um, Jesus obviously asks them, what are you arguing about? And a, fa- a man from the crowd then tells, them, he tells Jesus a story. He says, we're told, a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now notice, he brings his son to Jesus, but Jesus has gone MIA. He's up a mountain somewhere. So he brings, them to, he brings it going, well, the, the disciples surely will be able to do what Jesus does, but they can't, and an argument ensues. Now, I have no doubt that the argument was probably instigated by the teachers of the law. If you remember back to Mark, they were out to try to capture Jesus, catch him in something to try to bring him down, to try to get rid of this troublemaker and his followers. And I have no doubt that they've started sowing seeds of doubt and they've started questioning, well, he's not here, so what's the point? And he's probably disappeared and, you know, well, you guys have no power, so what's going on? And there's this argument that started between the crowd who are probably defending to a degree and trying to figure out what all this means. Now, I want, I want to just note a couple of things here. He brings his son who is suffering. A spirit has robbed him of speech, we're told. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. Now, firstly, let's not overlook how much suffering is going on for this, uh, for this man and this boy. But we have to be very careful here because um, we can go down a path which looks at whatever was happening in terms of our modern medicine, and we go, well, we know that modernly this is, uh, this is a brain disorder of sorts, and, well, they didn't have the medicine, and if they had the medicine and they had the medical uh, knowledge that we have today, then he would have been all right. See, that's not what's going on here. We know that this isn't the case because this we are told he's possessed by an evil spirit, an impure spirit. And we know this because Jesus speaks to the spirit later and the outcome is that spirit leaves. Now we have to be careful not to then go to what a lot of charlatans and, 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 and false teachers would love you to believe that anyone who suffers mental health or anyone who has a brain disorder must have an evil spirit and we need to just cast it out. No, mental health and, and brain disorders are just as physiological as a broken leg and everything else. We are talking the possession of an evil spirit. Now, it may look like some of these things, but that's not what's happening. And we have to be very, very careful not to transfer and put together uh, this logical thing, which is actually not part of the text, and it's not true. So the issue here 
is nobody could do anything about the evil spirit except Jesus. Notice how Jesus was greater than Elijah and Moses up on the mountain. We, were, we saw that in the transfiguration, the new covenant. We, we explained all that last week. I'm not going to get into that again now. And now he's come into this situation with his 12 disciples. And they are powerless. He is more powerful than the 12. And remember, the whole book leading up to this has been asking the question, who is this man? And we've seen his power over and over again. And this picture of him is building and building and building. And it's no coincidence that when he comes down, we're seeing him exercise power greater than his disciples. You see, the message, first and foremost, we should get from this is Jesus is more powerful than any Old Testament prophet, any Old Testament priest, any Old Testament figure at all, king. He is more powerful than any apostle, any self-proclaimed prophet of today, anyone in the church, no matter what they've been ordained by the Holy Spirit to have as a gift. Jesus is more powerful. He is the one in which all power flows. That's what's happening. See, but what's happening is a highlight of the great problem of humanity and even of Jesus' followers. See, these 12 had faith. These nine had faith. But they couldn't do anything with it. See, Jesus, look at his lament in verse 19. You unbelieving generation. Now, I don't think he's standing there going, you unbelieving generation. I think he's just shaking his head. I think he is, as he looked out over Jerusalem that time, and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is his heart expressing itself, looking at his people, looking at the, the destruction of sin and, and the fallenness. And he's saying, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? This is a, like a psalm of lament. How long shall I put up with you? The perfect, faithful one is looking upon us and lamenting because of the ravages that come with sin. Well, there's a powerless disciples, there's a powerless crowd, and now we have a powerless father. Verse 20, so they brought the boy to Jesus. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he, has he, has he been like this? From childhood. It has often thrown him into the fire and water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can. Everything is possible for one who believes. Now, I want you to imagine the, the desperation of this father. I, watching his child being thrashed around at any moment, trying to sleep at night, but having to be near his boy in case something happens. No sleep. Suddenly, this boy is running or, 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 or heading to fire to throw himself in, to water. Whatever it is, 
at any moment, this boy is on the edge of death. He's on the edge of being in a convulsion which his father is powerless to do anything about. This boy's father is, well, he's at his wit's end. No sleep, despair, anxiety. So the devil, his demons and evil want to distort God's creation. And they want to distort the people that were created in his image. See, we were made to reflect God's glory. We were made to go out through the earth, bearing the image of God, exercising authority over creation in a way that reflected God's glory, his holiness, his goodness, his grace, his mercy. And sin and the devil and his evil spirits and evil itself, well, their whole goal is to distort that image so that when the world it comes and encounters humanity, it doesn't see a glorious God. It sees and starts asking the question, if there is a God, then why would he allow such things as this? See, and that's the great tool of the devil is to distort the image And if you hadn't noticed it, there is a great deal of distortion beyond this boy's distorted reality of his physical figure. The disciples have a distorted faith. The teachers of the law are trying to bring down the very ones that are proclaiming the true saviour. The crowd is arguing They're uncertain. All they're doing is they want healing. They're coming for their own sake. See, the father is broken, desperate. And in the distortion of this boy's physical body, we see an embodiment of the distortion of all humanity because of sin. But enter the one who reverses this distortion. Enter the one who is the true king, who has true authority, who has the fullness and perfection of faith as human on the earth to reverse this distortion. And where the crowd was powerless, where the disciples were powerless, where the teachers of the law were powerless, where this father was powerless, enter Jesus the perfect man, the perfect faithful one, the true image bearer of God that we have just seen with his humanity unveiled on the mountain enters into this scene to reverse the distortion. And the boy's father says, if you can. If you can. See, and within that statement, I think, is the greatest distortion that we all have in the way that we live our lives in Christ. We add the word if in our hearts. We might not say it with our mouths, but we say it in our hearts. We think 
when we come to God for what seems to be the impossible, we have in our hearts, hmm, well, if he can do it, if he's powerful enough. Our words don't say that, but our hearts do. See, what happens is as that lighthouse of our journey with Christ is going around, we see at times this wonderful truth and we see clearly the power of God in our lives. I hope you saw it when he, he, he took you from darkness to light and he regenerated your heart and you came to faith. I hope you've had those moments where you've just gone, my saviour and my God, as Thomas did. I'm sure you have, and I'm sure that you've clung on to those. But as life moves on, that lighthouse moves. And when things start becoming darker again, we start having those questions. Was it really him? Did I really experience that? Did he really work in my life? And then as we go into the darkest valley and we start coming to him for help, and with the psalmist we cry, Why, O oh Lord, why have you forsaken me? Why, where are you? We start putting that if into our hearts. I wonder if he can truly help me. And it's this distortion that's here coming out for all to see. This poor father. No one else has been able to help. And Jesus says, if you can. And he says to you, if you can. And he says these most powerful of words, everything is possible for one who believes. Everything, everything is possible for one who believes. That's easier said than done, isn't it? Because we live in the sinful approach to God by harboring an if and trying to break away that if. Now, I want you to note what Jesus isn't saying here, which you will go on the internet, you'll hear other people preaching, you'll even encounter people who actually say effectively this jesus is not saying he is not saying everything all things will be done according to the will of the one who believes he's not saying everything will be done that you bring to me in order to be done that's not what he's saying he is saying everything is possible now, possibility has some uncertainty in it. And we don't sit well in uncertainty. But I tell you, in the heart of that statement is the greatest hope you could ever have on this earth. It is the ripping away of the if from your heart and it's being able to come into this space knowing that the all-powerful one the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer, the one who does, has nothing happen in the earth without his say-so. The one has, who has all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he says. Therefore, go and make disciples. All authority. He says everything is possible. 
And if you have anything that you think is impossible, or if you're harboring an if, or if you've got that illness or disease, or you're yearning for something, if your heart is breaking over something, well, let me tell you, the charlatans can't help you, the, the other religions can't help you, no one can give you the hope that lies in this one sentence from the one who truly has the power to say that. Everything is possible. But here's the great promise that comes with that. Everything is possible on this earth, but I tell you the promise, he says, that when I raise you imperishable from the dead, there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more crying. There will be no more pain, no more sin. There will be none of this. All this that's reflected in this passage will be gone. This boy will be restored without the distortion. All the distortion will be destroyed. And you will work, walk in a perfect reality. And while you have your eyes fixed on that hope, you walk in this world going, everything is possible now because I have the promise of the one who has made everything perfect then. And that is the great tension that we live in, the now, not yet. But it does not change the power and the authority of Jesus. And what is so great about that promise is we know that as we walk to that day where our bodies are raised imperishable, he says this, all things work for the good of those who love him. So no matter what you're going through, he is making you ready for that day. Whether he takes that from you or he says, I will walk through the darkest valley of the shadow of death with you, for I am with you and I will never leave you nor forsake you. Whether that is your journey with him or whether he says, you know what, for you the darkest valley will not be your path. He takes that from you and he leads you to the green pasture. You know what, it does not change the hope that we have. That hope is secure. It will never change and it is secured because the very one who takes away the distortion went to the death on the cross. He died for our sin and he paid the ultimate punishment for this distortion so that we don't have to harbour an if. We can rip that if away and know, yes, he can. And I come confidently. I come with joy and peace knowing that he is my saviour. He is my Lord. And he will never leave me nor forsake me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Well, just to reinforce this power, Jesus says, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Isn't that remarkable? Powerless disciples, powerless crowd, powerless everyone. And he comes down out of the mountain, the one whose deity's been revealed, get out of him. And I say, never, never enter him again. And true to the form of a, of a, of a, of a heart that's um, disturbed by sin, they're looking at this boy going, he must be dead. This man has killed him. This poor father... At least he had his son in his distortion. Jesus picks his hand, raises him, hands him back to his father. Restoration, renewal. 
And that is the hope we all have. Well, obviously, the disciples have done what's going on, true to form. As I would have been in that day, as all of us would have been in that day, just going, what is going on here? And they say, why couldn't we drive it out once they get inside and have him privately? And he says, this kind can come out only by prayer. Now, that's quite curious because I don't see Jesus praying here. This is what I think. I think prayer is a great submission to the authority and power of God. It is in prayer that we come to God and recognize our own helplessness, our own powerlessness, and that with the Holy Spirit now having been given to us, God the Holy Spirit, we come to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves to his will, we lay our lives down and we say, okay, I'm ripping the if away, if it is your will. And there we go. See, prayer is how the power of God manifests, not because the prayer itself has power, but because the one that we come to is all-powerful. This is the other distortion in the church. Prayer is not the powerful thing. You can pray you can pray to Buddha. You can pray. Prayer itself does not have power. It is only powerful because of the one that you pray to. And that is the same with your faith. As I've said before, it's like abseiling down a cliff. I give you a bit of string and say, abseil down that. You can say, I will get down there. It will happen. I believe in you, string. I am going to do this. And I tell you, that string is not built for it. Your faith is irrelevant at that point. But if you put the rope of Jesus down on your life and you hold on to him and you have the smallest and you're hesitating and you do what I did in the Kimberley, every time I wanted to jump off like one metre into water, I'd hesitate and not even do it. My wife, she'll come off for 30 metres. I sit there going, oh. But if I go, that smallest bit of faith in whatever I'm putting my faith in, well, it's about what I put my faith in. The string won't help, but Jesus will. And it's the same with prayer. Prayer is an exercise of faith. So this morning, I encourage you, wherever you're at with your relationship with Jesus, get the if out of your hearts and know without any doubt that you come confidently, whatever's going on in your life and the life of people around you, in the Ukraine, whatever's going on around the world, we come boldly and confidently to the throne of God and we say, Lord, if it is your will, then we know that you have the power to do anything. And this is what we ask submitting ourselves completely to the outcome because we know that whatever it is that you do, you do it because you're a good, good father, as we've sung this morning. Because the goodness of God prevails, that he is compassionate. He is loving. He is working all things for the good of those who love him. 
So surrender your life in that way and you will walk with peace and hope and joy and love and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in a way which you may never have done before. But you will do it boldly. You will say everything is possible, so I am going boldly. Let me encourage you to do that this morning. Now, I encourage you specifically about our church to pray. Do not stop praying for the youth, for Rachel, who we've inducted this morning, for me, for the elders. We have a building program that's starting, and that's the biggest death of churches. And I'm not kidding. Pray that we will not be overwhelmed by that. Pray that the $10,000 that we have to get by the end of this week comes. Pray that uh, in, in the architect's designs that it will be for God's glory. Pray that we will always be focused and centered on glorifying Christ and proclaiming him. Pray for our kids. Pray for our elderly. Pray for everyone. Get your church directories out and start moving through them. And pray boldly and with knowing that everything is possible. Why? Because faith prays. And because our church needs the power of the Lord to sustain it. And he will only do that if we are a faithful people proclaiming his name and his gospel. And that is represented in our prayer life. That's enough. (laughs) Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you powerless, but with the Holy Spirit we come knowing that there is a power that is at work in us, that is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Lord, a power that you will exercise through your people as we live by faith. And Father, we submit ourselves to you and your will. We pray boldly, Lord, that this week you provide the money we need to pay the architect, that you provide all that Rachel and Max need to continue to uh, have a, a tremendous impact in the kids and youth. We pray that you build our church into a great beacon, a great lighthouse, for no other purpose than to proclaim the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that over the next few years, we will see people coming to the kingdom through the ministries here. We pray that we will continue to use that baptism font uh, behind me. Thank you that over the last few years, we've used it regularly, but we want it to be overflowing constantly with people Father God, we pray that we will see so much maturity in ourselves and in our congregation, that there will be no arguing and bickering, there will be no comments that bring others down, but we will build one another up in love, that we will be bold in what we do each and every day for the Lord, that we will go confidently knowing that you are with us, the all-powerful one, the ever-present one, and the, all, uh, the all-knowing one. Father God, we commit all of these things into your hands and boldly we pray that this Christmas we see your kingdom 
grown in ways we could never have imagined. We pray you use us, that you bring divine intersections, people in front of us, in order for us to share the gospel. And as they are presented to us, you give us the boldness, Lord, and we speak words of truth that we never even knew we had. Lord, I pray that our our community will know that we are a shining light for Jesus and there is no other way to come and be saved but through the Lord. So, Father God, bless us now as we go from here uh, and we pray it all in the name of the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.